All right, we are officially recording um, another episode of The Story Goes uh, Virtual. Um, we are doing it via Zoom, and we have become mildly uh, good at it. <laughs> we are in our, look at that, we're in our home offices for some of us. We are. Today, we have a couple of CPAs with us who are not wearing suits and ties, and we don't really know what to do with that yet, but we're going to introduce them in just a second. First, a reminder that this is The Story Goes, a partnership podcast between KLRN and SA2020, and I'm Molly, and that's Kieran. Hi. Uh, and we are going to be bringing you the stories of people who are um, doing some amazing work. And we are able to do that with the help of sponsors. CPS Energy, thank you so much uh, for understanding the importance of telling stories um, of San Antonio's organizations and individuals who are just doing the thing. Um, in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis, um, we've seen quite a few policies come out. We know that things are happening at the national level um, and the local level. We know that individuals, businesses, nonprofits, even local governments are having, um, are struggling right now. And we began receiving emails uh, from our uh, CPA partners, Shriver Carmona, and they were so easy to read. <laughs> we were like, Ooh, could you come onto the podcast and make some of this financial stuff that doesn't make sense make sense to us. So we pulled in Chris and Derek and are going to ask them to sort of walk us through not only um, the CARES Act, but the Families First Coronavirus Response Act and what those things mean for both individuals and small businesses and nonprofits, uh, particularly since we're here in San Antonio, what it means to us here. Thanks y'all for being here. It's a pleasure. I want to start first with, you know, SA 2020 has been tracking data for quite some time and we uh, felt compelled to check in on, we've been seeing over and over and over again, unemployment claims are going up, unemployment claims are going up. So we looked at the Bear County numbers and we're getting close to tapping 50,000 unemployment claims right now, it's April 9th. Um, we had like 20, 21,000 claims just last week. Within the last month, we are seeing those claims spike exponentially. And I know that there are some provisions in these policies for unemployment claims and what those benefits might look like moving forward. Can you talk about those things? Sure, I'll, I'll touch on a little bit of the unemployment provisions. Um, what, the, what this recent act did is essentially make it easier for people to qualify and also allow more people to qualify. So for example, um, under this under this act, uh, independent contractors, those that are self-employed, will now be uh, eligible for benefits. Whereas, you know, in the past, it was strictly for employees receiving a W-2. Um, the other thing it did was expand the benefits. So the federal government's kicking in an additional $600 um, in weekly benefits to those collecting unemployment. And um, and what I would recommend is, you know, if if and this is not just for folks who have lost their jobs. It, it also applies to folks who's um, hours have been cut. And so, um, you know, the recommendation is, is go ahead and apply just to determine if you're eligible um, because the other facts and circumstances will dictate the actual amount that you get. Um, and so, you know, as I mentioned, this just makes it, uh, you know, easy for you to obtain benefits. You know, they, they've waived the, the one week waiting period. They've waived the, um, 
the requirement that you have to, you know, search for work and continuously check back with PwC. And so it, it, the, the design and the intent is to allow this to kind of happen uh, quickly um, and, and, and get the people that need the money, get it to them very, uh, as quick as possible. That's helpful. Thank you for that. I Another data point that's coming up for us has to do around student loan debt, right? We're hearing a lot of information about what's happening at the federal level, and we know that there's provisions in this legislation also. Absolutely. And, you know, this has been an ongoing problem for quite some time now, and, and some people are calling this kind of the next mortgage, um, you know, mortgage crisis. Um, mm. I think, you know, with recent events, obviously, it's making it even more difficult for people to stay on top of their student loans. But what uh, the, you know, this most recent legislation did is allow for a six month uh, automatic suspension for student loans held uh, by the federal government um, and also allowed organizations to um, apply, you know, apply education assistance for their employees. Um, and expanded that provision that already existed. So, you know, there's a lot of, of, of you know, things that this bill and this act aim to, to help with. And, you know, student loans is, is just one of the, the many that this bill is, is stuffed with. But, you know, in, in, in my research, what I've read is that they, the six month no payment is um, the one that, that they've offered as part of this act. Yeah, and there's also just in general, I know we're, um, everybody keeps talking about sort of the recovery rebate or like the dot when mm -hmm. when does that check come to me right particularly for not just those who are unemployed but it, it from what i'm reading and again as clearly a financial guru thank you <laughs> I, um the my question right is like what is the recovery rebate for anybody is it real is it coming what's happening with that yeah and that's the you know that's kind of the been the hot topic with this whole thing is you know yeah. $1200 per adult the $500 per kid so the way it works is you know if you filed if you haven't filed your 2019 return the IRS is going to go back to your 2018 return and, and review you know how many dependents you were claiming and what your income was um, if you have filed your 19 they will go to that one first um, before moving on to the to the 18 and essentially what they're doing is they're using that as a way to determine um, who they think would be eligible, okay? And it's based on income. Um, those that are over 150,000 in adjusted gross as a married couple, um, chances are they're not gonna get the credit right now, uh, but that doesn't mean that they're not gonna get it um, because the income provisions actually kick in for 2020. So let's say in you know 2019, your adjusted gross uh, was 170 um, and you're not eligible for the credit right now. When you go to file your 2020 return and your income has dropped below the amount, you will get it in 2021 when you file your 2020 return. Okay, so um, if you didn't get it, again, because your income precluded you from doing it, um, then you'll get it when you file your 2020 return. Now on the flip side, um, if your income fell, fell below the, the adjusted gross income limitation and you got the credit, and then in 2020, your income, you know, went through the roof, you got a big bonus, you're, you're working for a company that, that wasn't really affected by it, and, and your income um, jumps above the, the amount that would completely phase you out, then you're not required to pay that money back. And so if you, again, it goes based on 2020, if you didn't get it, and you're eligible based on your 2020 income, you will get it when you file your return. Um, if you've received it, and you, you know, based on 2020 income, you weren't eligible, 
you're not required to pay that back. Um, and then the other question that comes up is how am I going to get it and when? Um, mm -hmm. The IRS says soon, um, and you're going to get it based on the bank information that they currently have on file. Um, if they don't have one, then they will mail it to your last known address. But what I'm telling my clients is, you know, if you've changed your bank, um, you'll need to let the IRS know. And they've come out and said that they're going to um, create this web portal where you can go in and uh, update your banking information. And, and the other thing I, I mentioned is if you've moved since you've last filed your return, you'll want to notify the IRS by form, uh, filing the Form 8822 to let them know of your address change. Derek and Chris, I, the... Thank you, A, for like sort of making sense of the things. But secondly, it's like there's a I, I realize that y'all don't have a, a crystal ball or you can't see into the future. But my I think what keeps coming up for people a lot is like, but when? When is mm -hmm. soon? And when is when can I get the when is the rebate happening? When are these things going into place? Like, do y'all have any sense of that? No, but they did say that, you know, if, if, if they have to mail it to you, there will be a significant delay um, in okay. getting those checked out because it's my understanding that they're going to do it in tranches. And I don't know if it's alphabetical, by zip code, um, but if they don't have your banking information, I would suggest you keep checking the IRS website. You know, we know that there is an extension on the tax return this year for folks who do have the capacity to file earlier. Is that something also that we should go ahead and do rather than waiting until Absolutely. That later in the year? Yeah, if, if you haven't filed your 19 return and you're in a position, it's better to do it sooner than later, just so that the IRS has the most recent information um, on file. Okay. And we have until July. It has been extended. That is correct. July 15th. Okay. Got it. Yeah, I think one of the recommendations, uh, just to add to that, it would be that if you typically receive a refund, um, file your return, um, because the longer you wait, the longer it's going to take to receive your refund. And considering that folks are might be experiencing, or a lot of folks are experiencing, uh, you know, financial stress right now, that that could be beneficial. Y'all, you're you're touching on sort of the piece around like uh, somebody who I've lost my job or the student debt or I need the rebate check right now. And then there's also a, a group of people who have put dollars into a 401k, right? Like maybe through our employer or whatever. And um, I, I keep seeing, it seems so silly, but like on my Twitter feed is like, don't check your 401k right now. <laughs> um, and I know nothing other than I'm doing my general percentage or whatever in my paycheck. And I'm like, oh, should I be worried? So there were some retirement plan provisions as part of this act. I would say, you know, continue saving for retirement and deferring that income if you don't need it. Um, but, and I would agree, don't, you know, it's one of those things, if you check it, it might make, make you a little anxious and you may make some Oof. decisions that maybe, you know, in hindsight, you, you, you probably shouldn't have made. But with respect to the retirement plan provision, um, you know, when you turn, uh, um, you know, 70 years old, essentially, you're required to take to draw down from your traditional IRAs. It's called the RMD, Required Minimum Distribution. For 2020, you're no longer required uh, to take that. And, and for those people who don't really need it, but are being forced to take it just as a, you know, as because they need to uh, per law, um, I recommend just leaving it in there. Um, if you're not going to, if you don't need the money and you don't plan on, on um, donating that to charity, you know, um, leave the money in there. Why pay tax on income that, that you really don't need right now? Um, so that's one provision. The other provision as it relates to retirement 
is the, uh, you know, normally if you take it out before um, 59 and a half, there's a 10% penalty for early distribution from a 401k or, or an IRA. And that has been lifted. Um, so up to $100,000 you can draw from your retirement account. Um, and, and not have to pay the 10% penalty if you were negatively affected. Okay, so I want to stop you there. Is that that's what you were talking about with hey, don't look at your 401k because you may draw that do those dollars out and then regret it later. So if you're if you're pulling money out of your 401k, absolutely, you know that's in the past you would have to pay a 10% penalty plus the taxes. Now it's just it's just the taxes. But there's another provision there that allows you to if you pay that money back within three years, you don't have to include it as income. So Mm -hmm. um, they're allowing you to borrow essentially from your from your IRA up to three years without having to pay um, pay income tax on it as long as you put it back within the three year period. There's a twofold strategy there, right? So one strategy is you you absolutely need the income, right? Because maybe there's there's your other sources of income you're just not receiving, so they're allowing you to borrow against you know your 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 retirement plan. With, without the penalties, um, you know, associated with that. Um, I think the, or the early withdrawal penalties, the, the portion about not taking your money out is because if your 401k has tanked, then you're taking money out on a portfolio that's pretty low, right? So the yeah. intent is to keep it in there and not have, so that it can essentially grow um, versus having, forcing you to take your required minimum distribution rate. Now, if you don't need it, right? So there's two pieces to kind of help both sides. That and if you sense. have, and if you have taken your RMD, you know, some people take it once a year towards the end of the year. Some people do it on a monthly basis. Um, and if you have taken it, and you know, you just now realizing that you're not required to take it, you can actually put that money back within 60 days, um, and it would be considered a rollover. Just be careful because if they've taken taxes out, then mm -hmm. you would also have to replenish that um, in order to to count for that full rollover. Uh, and then you'll just get the taxes back when you file your return. Okay. Okay. Y'all um, have also explained, there's been, I, obviously we're all thinking about this as, an, as two nonprofits putting together a podcast, right? Uh, we've been thinking about sort of the strain on nonprofit organizations and there has been, um, there are some changes to contributions to nonprofits right now? Well, in the past, um, you know, it was considered an itemized deduction. And when the, when the um, standard deduction was, you know, only 12,000 and some change for married folks, most people were able to take advantage of their charitable contributions. Um, in 2018, they doubled the standard deduction, which made it really, really tough for the average American to itemize. And therefore those, those uh, charitable contributions um, they weren't, they, they didn't provide any additional benefit outside of the charitable giving. Um, and as a result of this, this new, this new act, I'm, I'm reading that they're going to allow what they call an above the line deduction for charitable contributions, um, essentially treating it similar to like a student loan interest deduction, um, or an HSA contribution or IRA contribution. So, there is a there is a provision there that will allow for a um, a charitable contribution above the line. I know that that was a major challenge in 2018 for nonprofits that we basically doubled the amount of what it would take to get anything back or a benefit. Right? Uh, if I'm a $10 or $20 donor and I've been itemizing itemizing that, maybe getting to 1,200, and then the next year I'm like, there's no way I can get to where you're asking me now. Mm -hmm. In this particular case, so for somebody who's maintaining their job who is able 
to donate to a nonprofit, this is an opportunity to also gain something in the end, potentially that they wouldn't have been able to just last year, right? That is correct. Now, it's not a big amount. Um, it's only, I think it's only $300, um, very similar to like an educator expense. You know, the teachers get to deduct a whopping $250 when we know very well that they spend way more than that. Um, and so currently, I believe it's 300 it's limited to $300. Yeah, it, but there's also the, the other piece where if you do itemize deduct, um, the, the ceiling, if you will, for taking charitable contributions and itemized deduction was 60% of your uh, basically what's called adjusted gross income. And so now that has been lifted up to 100%. So folks who itemize deduct can actually take a charitable contribution up to 100% of essentially their income, their taxable okay. income, in, in, in a okay. sense. So um, there's, there's, again, so folks who typically wouldn't itemize deduct and maybe don't have enough itemized deductions uh, to, to follow and, 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 and do your Schedule A, your itemized uh, schedule, then you can take the $300 uh, on, as, a, as a deduction uh, but as well as those who can afford to give more now have an opportunity to give more. Um, but these have to be cash contributions. These can't be pledges. These, uh, I also understand that they also can't be um, uh, part of donor. They have to be the public charities. So they can't be to your own foundation. It's so important right now because we know how critical it is to be supporting the nonprofit sector. We of course know that nonprofits are delivering critical services to San Antonio, food and housing and access to healthcare right now, and at the same time are employing thousands, tens of thousands of people. Um, and so those jobs are critical. So the responsibility of being able to understand um, what I can do, what kind of relief I might be able to receive by also investing in charitable giving in San Antonio is so important at this moment. So that's incredibly helpful. What I'm hearing is that the CPAs are telling us to give more money to nonprofits. That's that's what I'm taking. That's away from exactly that. exactly. If you have the ability to do that, <laughs> yes. The, the the great organizations here locally absolutely would, would they need that. You know, we're we're going through this wave where folks are losing jobs. Um, you know, we're going to see kind of the second wave, and so it's important to fund these nonprofits now and even after the fact, but to keep them afloat for now so that they are around and they are able to provide their services to, to individuals that are gonna uh, have to, or that are gonna feel uh, the aftermath of all this. Y'all, what are, we're getting close to time, so I just wanna make sure, is there any major missing that we haven't gone through that you have gotten questions about as people in this business? There are uh, a couple of other provisions. Um, if the PPP isn't, you know, you're not eligible for it or it, they ran out of money and you can't, you can't receive any. They have some other payroll related relief uh, programs out there. There's one that will give you um, up to 50% as a credit for qualified wages if you, you know, fall in certain categories. Uh, mainly if you were forced to cease operations or you know either fully or partially because of government shutdown or if you had a, a very substantial reduction of in revenue um, the IRS is the federal government is allowing a credit of up to 50% in wages paid qualified wages paid during that during those periods now you can't double dip and get the PPP on top of that um, okay. so that's one and then the other one is an employer uh, employer payroll tax deferral so essentially the the 6.2 percent uh, matching you know FICA tax uh, you don't have to pay um, and you can keep that um, for now and and pay it out over two years so 
you can defer the the, the employer's uh, FICA match for up to two years. So you'll you'll just hold on to it, and then in 2021 you'll pay half, and then in 2022 they'll pay the other half. So they're going to be revising okay. the payroll, the quarterly payroll forms, to be able to keep track of the deferrals. Um, so those are two that are you know part, buried into this bill that um, a lot of people don't aren't aware of or maybe are unclear if they if they qualify. Yo, I seriously thank you so much, and I'm sure like next week we could talk to you again, and you'd have 55 different new things that you should probably I'm, tell us. <laughs> Um, thank you for reading all the papers and keeping us up to date on what we need to know. Um, and then, of course, everything that we've talked about here um, can be linked at klrn.org slash the story goes. Um, and I, y'all, I, seriously, like, just thanks for making us feel uh, slightly smarter. I hope we get out of this as quick as possible. We get back to normal. I'm sure we'll have new normals, you know, um, and this is not going to be a light switch situation where they say hey we found a, a, a vaccine y'all can go back to work and you know it's, it's I think we're going to feel some lingering effects of this well thank you we're here uh you know we're here if you if you need us for anything else to clarify anything to come back on to to correct anything we might have mistakenly said whatever you know you need <laughs> us to do we're, yeah we're here and um Excellent. you know I, I would say that I think organizations as a whole for-profit non-profit um you know, we know how San Antonio is and, and everybody comes together to help and we're seeing that every day. Uh, and I think that organizations really need to be thinking about not we're doing today, but how we're going to adjust for tomorrow. And we'll all come out of this a lot better for that.